0: welcome to the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line here's shahan j
1: and Bobek Hayeri. hey everybody welcome back to the college football survivor show i'm Bobek hayari and my co-host as always shahan j haraja national college football writer for cbs sports during the season we examined the past to crowning an ultimate survivor in each year's college football playoff championship and we thought it'd be fun to do our first early, too early, however you want to say it, ranking of who that CFP may be, especially heading into the first year of the 12-team playoff. As always, you can find us on X and TikTok at the CFP Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and listen to your feedback. I should say that's at CFB Survivor Show, not at the CFB Survivor Show. We're not, the, uh, we, we're, we're not even going to go close to the Ohio State trademark there. Um, Please, if you can, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. You know, Shahan, why don't you introduce us to this? So we're actually, cause this is this is exciting. I know both of us had some fun coming up with our own lists, but tell us about the exercise.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, this was difficult. Uh, you know, so we're about to head into the month of March. That's obviously when you start to see programs enter spring camp when you start to see rosters finalize just a little bit. And on on Tuesday, of course, we had the opportunity to go and discuss uh, some of the teams that we felt like had improved and decreased the most over the offseason. And so from our perspective, it was time. We're going to put our first stamp of the season, probably before anybody else in the country has tried to really uh, make a true attempt at putting together their college football playoff. We're going to go and look at what we have and uh, and try to put our 12 team playoff together. The other piece to mention about this is we have it clarified. It is going to be a five plus seven model. So five conference champions, seven at large bids. It's official now. That's what the first college football playoff is going to be. And so ultimately, uh, we have all the information that we need to make a way, way, way too early version of this. Now, it must be said, a lot's going to change in the spring, whether that's players stepping up, whether that's freshmen getting on campus and impressing, whether that's post-spring, potentially players leaving and ending up at new programs as well. The roster uh, turnover is not over at this point. But why wait until week one to to finally make our picks. Let's let's uh, put some some ink to paper right now in the month of February.
1: You know, and I just want to also clarify for those listening, because two early top 25s, those happen all the time. Usually even some of them come out the moment the title game is ended before obviously a lot of things changed in the coaching ranks immediately afterwards. But remember we're talking the college football playoff rankings and the way they're going to be designed at the end of the regular season. Uh, this upcoming year. So the top four spots have to go to the top four conference champions. So that really shook things up compared to, I would say a lot of the top 25 rankings that you've seen out there. And I want to remind our listeners that we're going to be looking at the top four conference champs have to be the top four spots and therefore they will get that, that first round bye, and then you get into the rest. Now, theoretically, just to be clear, theoretically, as we, as as Sean said, it's a five plus seven. The five conference champs. You could have that weird year where there might be somehow a G five champ that is ranked higher than one of the the, the the either the you know the SEC, Big Ten, unlikely or Big Twelve and ACC champ. We're gonna. Assume, I don't think either of us are assuming that's gonna happen. But typically, that means a G five is gonna be somewhere in those at large, mixed amongst the the at large bids. So, all of that said. I think we're not going to be too surprised by a couple of these. Who did you rank? Well, how should we do this? Should we say our top four? Or did you want to just instead say who's your – we're going to know the top four are conference champs. Or would you rather just say who's your number one seed?
0: Let's. Uh, so let's start with our number one seed. And obviously that gets us into the conference champ conversation. So with my number one overall seed, I was picking between two teams uh, who to me are the two title favorites heading into 2024. And I opted to go with familiarity with my number one seed. I'm going with the SEC champion, Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia, of course, brings back Carson Beck. They do lose Brock Bowers, but Oscar Delp is a big time player and a big time playmaker. They brought in a couple of key transfers at key position, including London Humphreys at receiver, who should be a dynamic weapon for them. And you also look at what they have been over the last couple of years. I mean, they were one upset away last year from potentially winning three straight national championships, becoming the first team since the University of Minnesota in the 1930s to do it. So a lot of this is a bet on familiarity. It's a bet on dominance. It's a bet on uh, opportunity, I would say, as well. When I look at the SEC right now, and we'll have an opportunity to talk about more SEC teams very soon, uh, they are by far, to me, the most complete team in terms of what they bring back, what they've done, their track record of development, and their strategy for approaching the upcoming season. So number one right now, I'm going safe, but I think I'm going correct, the Georgia Bulldogs.
1: Yeah, I like that pick. I was having difficulty going between my top two. I mean... I actually put them as number two only because I thought they had a tougher schedule. And when I was trying to pick between two teams, and I did this several times throughout my top 12, or I should say my 12 selections, uh, predictions for the playoff. I, I thought that with that opening game against Clemson in Atlanta. Now, I think Georgia's absolutely going to be favored in that game, but that's another potential for a hiccup. They play at Kentucky, they which again, more than likely than not, Georgia's gonna win. At Alabama, again, I think the Bulldogs are gonna be favored. At Texas, okay, that's gonna be another challenging one. At Ole Miss, all of those teams, not an easy, not as easy of a path as the other one. But I could and there's some other small tweaks there. We've talked about that in our last show. You thought Georgia was actually in a bit of a slight loser in um in the offseason, only because. You know, they didn't really have a big splash. And, you know, I, I conversely said, hey, you know, given what happened at Alabama, I think they were happy. Things didn't get quite that exciting. And they brought in some great talent. Obviously, Trevor Etienne from Florida. You've mentioned a few of the others. Um, There are going to be some good folks out there to 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 complement the existing folks. And in addition, a number of great another top recruiting class. Um, and I, one thing I, I gave them credit, unlike some of the other teams, they really showed up for their bowl game despite not making it into the CFP because they went in and they they took care of business. Um, and that's something that I think they share with another team that I admire that is is in my top – I mean, Oregon. I'm going to just say Oregon's one of the other teams I admire greatly. And I think that was part of the things. They also showed up for their bowl game. Maybe the opponent wasn't quite to the level, but they certainly didn't let uh, let their foot off the gas. Um Another small concern, you know, even though they didn't lose too many people on the staff, Fran Brown, the secondary of Georgia is exceptional. Obviously, Fran Brown is now the head coach of Syracuse. Rebuilding a secondary, we'll see. Again, my expectations for Georgia are tremendous. They are literally, I'm expecting them to win the SEC. I'm just expecting them to potentially have a loss somewhere, uh, more likely than my number one team. And therefore, that's why I put them as number two. So- I'm almost certain we're talking about the same two teams. My number one was Ohio State. And again, I had some, tr- I'm going to be honest, I had some, this is difficult because Kirby Smart is at least through resume, a better coach. There's just, I can't, I, it would be weird to say anything but that. But watching what happened since the national championship that Michigan after Michigan won the national championship, it's so funny because going into it it was like man what happened to Ohio State you barely showed up to your bowl game Mizzou embarrassed you guys you know are you reeling from losing to to Michigan and not being able to play in the uh in the conference title game I mean what happened and then I that is still I mean they are the reigning 2024 offseason national champions that's that's absolutely clear but Look what they did. They returned guys who just didn't need to come back. Amika Embuka, Travion Henderson, Jack Sawyer, JTT, uh, you know, co- corners like Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, you know, they, they've got Tyreek Williams on the line. They've got so many. And then what they brought in the portal, Caleb Downs, obviously we've talked about him. I think he's my, my lead, like wow factor. In addition to Will Howard, Jenkins, all of those guys would be wows in and of themselves. But What really pushed them over the top to me was bringing in Chip Kelly, more so than Bill O'Brien, who, of course, left soon after to become the head coach of Boston College. I mean, with an incredible backfield to work from uh, and and with Kelly's ability to use that kind of balance between a running game and a passing attack, I think – they're going to just absolutely sail through their schedule. I mean, the, they have a soft non-con. They've got, you know, maybe they followed the Michigan model. I don't know. Uh, they, but they've got Akron, Western Michigan, and Marshall. Michigan and Michigan State are on the schedule, but they're both rebuilding. I mean, Michigan State, yeah, everyone's really hot on Jonathan Smith, and I am too. But this is his first season there. And Michigan, we've we've talked, you know, a lot about what's going on over there. The tough games, and the one that I've circled, 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 because it's going to be a great october matchup is when they go to aughtson who wins that game between the ducks and the buckeyes is suddenly going to have a whole other i mean that's going to be a big moment i'm going to assume for this point the buckeyes have what it takes to and boy that's going to be can you wait for the stories chip kelly returning to not like he hasn't played at oregon before at ucla but the chip kelly returning to play at uh at aughtson stadium is going to be exciting and of course, more of the mystery team, which is Penn State. They're good, but how good will we ever know? But if those are the two that they really the tough games on the schedule in my when I was doing my analysis, I said, I'm going to give them that edge. Now, again, the minuses I will acknowledge Ryan Day. Does he have what it takes to push him over the top? And I, I hate belaboring that because I thought people were being a little unfair to him, a little ridiculous. Uh, but that's just the inherent um. The inherent kind of irrational nature of college football, which is also something I never want to see leave. So bless that. And, you know, we're always wondering, sometimes when you load up on transfer talent or just load up on talent in general, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite mesh. And we still have to see who's going to stick around after the spring game, um, particularly with that quarterback room, which is absolutely loaded. But I thought it was a very close call. And between what, the seating number one and number two, I put number, Ohio State is number one.
0: So, I have Ohio State number two. I think that they're uh, relatively, at this point, easy choice for that. Uh, one thing that I will say, though, is you mentioned Ohio State has an easier schedule. There's no doubt about that. My question is, and I I do expect both these teams and every team, by the way, in the SEC and Big Ten to lose games because they're going to be playing a lot of top ten opponents, but... If Georgia is one loss behind Ohio State in the loss column, right? If they have two losses and Ohio State has one, for example, I think that Georgia should still be the number one team because their schedule isn't just harder. It's like another planet. It's You get Clemson at a neutral site, at Alabama. Alabama's rebuilding a little bit, but they'll still be a top 15 team most likely. At Texas, at Ole Miss, who's a team that we're going to get to later on this list, versus Tennessee as well. So that's potentially five games against college football playoff contenders whereas ohio state you go to oregon that is a great game incredible game in in a 14 playoff in a previous year in a previous big 10 that game alone might be enough to get you uh number one or number two i don't think that's the case anymore with the way that some of these schedules are going to be you mentioned at penn state that's going to be a tough game absolutely michigan will kind of see what they are i'm curious uh to, to have maybe a michigan conversation when we get further down this list but like like seven or eight teams on this schedule, Ohio state's going to be favored by 10 plus points. Like this is not close to the type of schedule that George is playing. It's not on the same planet. So, you know what, whenever we're having the conversation, whenever the playoff committee is having this conversation, I don't think that you can treat these two schedules as being comparable. You know, I'm not going to say that it's all the way as being, well, You know, it's an SEC versus a Group of Five schedule by any means, but I don't think that they're peers when it comes to scheduling. And so uh, we've seen the College Football Playoff Committee before punish teams for having weak out-of-conference schedules, and this is as weak an out-of-conference schedule as you're going to see in college football this year. Uh, And again, some of this does depend. If Penn State and Michigan end up being top, like, seven teams, then that helps ease the burden a little bit. If they're more like top 15 teams, then I don't think that you can have a conversation between what Georgia's going to play this upcoming year in Ohio State. So to me, I, I agree that the schedule's much harder, the path is much harder for Georgia, but I do think in a 12-team playoff world, uh, wins and losses are going to be slightly less decisive If, for example, I mean, again, I mentioned five college football playoff contenders that George is going to play, plus a conference championship game that is going to be uh, probably a lock against a top five opponent, I think, in the Big Ten. You expect it'll probably be Oregon again, so maybe that's a top five opponent. But if it's not, if Oregon flops, let's just say if Oregon flops... Like it could be against like the ninth best team in the country, right? Like it could be a, not a real national title contender. So uh, a lot of context is going to go into that. For me, that put Georgia just slightly ahead.
1: One thing I'm curious to see, and I, I, I know it could go one way or another in, in both our interpretations of this is the, because the, both of those teams have an enormous amount of talent. Of course, we say that before the season, then you see how people mesh. Sometimes a player goes even beyond expectations. Um, I mean, if we talk about Penn State, we'll even talk about like someone like Drew Aller. Well, like, well, can he reach what the potential we thought he had? But I'd be curious to see if, for example, and I, again, weaker schedule. But if Ohio State shows a level of talent, if all this, if all of these guys just mesh well, suddenly I wonder, because I mean, obviously with Jordan Travis, we certainly learned that the committee is willing to look at the talent of individual players. So if they just see across the board. Again, George was going to be talented no matter what. But if they say like, "Wow, what we're seeing from Will Howard and company versus Carson Beck and company, which team are we kind of deciding is the bigger firepower?" I, I'd be curious to see if that plays into it as well. I mean, there's gonna all I know is like those will be some. If we get to that point, those are going to be some very very interesting uh, uh, post show calls um, with the press to, to see how they how they decide to to, to explain it. Um, goodness, so. Now let's take a look because again we've got a three and four are also going to be conference champions. We're not going to talk about who might be you know. There's no question of oh the loser of the SEC title game is also going to be in the top four. First of all, that because they're probably still be in anyway. They just won't be in the top four. I mean, just they'll be ranked in the at
0: large spots. Who did you have as your next conference champ? Well, I'll tell you what. This is like a nightmare year. I think for the first year playoff for the mid two because over the past couple of years we've had multiple years whether it's 2023 Florida State 2022 TCU uh some really good Baylor teams a really good Oklahoma State team we've had multiple teams that have a very good case to be top 4 you know if not top 6 or 7 this is not one of those years this is one of the weaker years i think that we've seen in a little while from the ACC and the Big 12 uh part of that is you know, a team that probably won't end up making my list because of what happened this off season is Arizona. If Arizona was able to kind of rebuild and and bring guys back, I, I think that they're in the conversation for a top seven or top six, maybe, but I have them just outside because of what they lost this off season. And similar in the ACC, right? Florida state had a huge exodus of players after missing the college football playoff. And so you're kind of in a position where you're saying, can Florida State rebuild it immediately? Is Clemson ready for prime time? Is my, a- in any one of these conversations. I ultimately, again, went a little safe here. And I'm going to go with Utah. Utah managed to be a nine-win team in, the, in a very good Pac-12 this year, despite missing their two most important offensive players. That being Cameron Rising and Brent Keithy at tight end. Both of those players are expected back in 2024. They're expected to be back fully healthy. They did lose some pieces on the defensive side of the ball, but that's I think where you just kind of embrace development and and the process that Kyle Whittingham has had with this program over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, offensive line, I think they grew quite a bit over the course of the season. And I think that actually in some ways joining the Big 12 is going to be great for them being able to go into Texas and continue to to develop receivers, right? I, I mean, uh, to be clear, this is a program that recruits Texas as well as anybody in the first place, but now you actually get to play games in the state of Texas. I think that that's going to end up being a huge boon for this program. So – Look, I I don't think that next year is the best Utah team that we've gotten in a while. But I do think that when I look at the state of the Big 12 right now, there are some high upside picks I think you could make, including Arizona, by the way. Uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on the schools in the Sunflower State of Kansas. I, I think that they have a lot of upside. But I think that if you're asking me right now today, who's going to win the Big 12? I'm leaning on Utah, and I think that they will be a better team at this point than the ACC champion.
1: Yeah, Utah was my number three. And, and to me, that was one of the moments where I'm like, wow, it's so weird to now think that my number three team, because again, Utah, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be a top 25 team, probably in the teens or maybe top 10. But number three seed, I was, I, I and again, I had that same conclusion. I'm like people are going to be shocked when they start realizing <laughs> what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and again, I don't know if that's going to suddenly cause, and maybe, and now suddenly I'm like, I remember I was like, oh, that's what Greg Sankey's worried about. You know when when they're asking <laughs> for all these on that qualifiers, I was literally looking at the these and again, I think it's a pro, it's a product of just as you said, how how weak the mid two and I like that that really is a good name for them, how they're kind of developing out here. And then, you know, I have to also admit that I agree 100% with Arizona. Arizona would have been the leader, but at this point, I just I'm not I again, I think Brent Brennan's a good coach. I think he's brought in some good people like Dino Babers, but I just I I think it's too it's too vague for me to know, especially with a team that has hovered at the only just climbed out of being kind of in a pretty deep hole. Um, And so part of it was, again, I remember I took my my big 12 candidates, I rolled them side by side who they caught coming back. What's their schedule look like? Who's even playing each other? Because these schedules are now, these conferences are still big enough. Even, I mean, we talk about the two super conferences, but these conferences, the ACC and the Big 12, have also gotten really big. You know, it's interesting because they're one of the teams that's playing a non- a conference opponent as a non-conference. So Baylor. But Baylor, this is, this is you know, not a great...
0: We'll see where Baylor is. I mean, Baylor hey, is... Hey, is, hey, hey I gonna... think that they'll be very good... No, we'll see what happens. I think <laughs> that Utah will obviously it, you know? <laughs> be favored in that game. Although last year, Baylor sucked. And, and look what happened. They nearly, uh, they nearly shocked him.
1: <laughs> yep, absolutely. You know, I'm going to be... Uh, in the tough game is at Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's a team where I'm like, man, they could win. They could go all the way. Definitely. But I just kind of decided that if our push comes to shove, I uh, I think that Utah is more likely to win out. But I think they're going to take some losses. Maybe it'll be at Houston. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Willie Fritz has going on over there. But I think overall, just it's it's the consistency of the coaching stuff. I mean, Kyle Whittingham has now been there for 20 seasons, which to me... I actually like thinking like, wow, has it been that long since Urban Meyer was there? Because to me, I still remember Urban Meyer going from Bowling Green to Utah and, you know, that 2005 season. I guess time does pass on us. But um, that consistency, the coordinators have all been there forever. Like, they know what they're doing. And as you pointed out, that offensive line developed out. I mean, they were starting four sophomores and a freshman last season, and they're all coming back. So that can only make them stronger. And that is a program that is known for being physical. So that experience, that development, bringing back Kim Rising, who I hope Stays healthy. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there, and and yeah, I think they're a safe third pick. So who do you think is going to win the ACC? Because this was one where I this could go so many. As we just talked about the Big Twelve, like it's it's more of a mystery. Like the ACC, I actually at one point was like I, I'm just throwing a dart between three teams at this point. Who did you go with?
0: Yeah, it's. <sighs> It's not great. It, it's not great. This is not how, if you're the ACC, you wanted to enter the 12-team playoff world. Uh, I mentioned Clemson. I mentioned Florida State. I – am I going to do it? I think I'm going to do it. In Jeff Brom, we trust. I'm going to go with Louisville. They had a really great first season. It, it's so funny. You know, th- this is how college football works sometimes, Right the only real game that people watch or maybe the only games that people watched of Louisville last year were like them collapsing against Kentucky in a game that they should have won. And then like not appreciating how good Florida state's defense was in the ACC title game. People were like this, this program's a joke. This, these guys are so bad. And it's like, No, man, like like, Florida State was just really good on defense and knew that they had to play a specific type of game to win with a third-string freshman quarterback, and they did, and we had that conversation. That's over. But Louisville, for a first-year team, grew so much over the course of that first season, and defensively, I love what they do out there. Uh, They they managed to stock up in a very – Uh, expedient way I guess you could say and now the question is can they figure out the offense and if you're asking me can Jeff Brom figure out the offense with another year of recruits and transfers I I mean I feel pretty good about that they brought in the number six transfer class in the country they have Tyler Shuck coming in as a transfer from Texas Tech now if you know anything about Tyler Shuck from his time at Oregon or Texas Tech probably gonna get hurt but I also like who they have there behind him. Pierce Clarkson is a player who they were very high on in the last recruiting class. They managed to keep him around. Uh, And so I do think ultimately they're going to be okay at that position, potentially better than they were last season. And then you look at some of the weapons that they bring in as well. Ja'Cory Brooks coming in as a transfer from Alabama. He was somebody who a lot of people thought would be up next uh, with the tide before uh, ultimately Isaiah Bond kind of passed him by, but still a very good player. Monroe Mills, another longtime starter at tackle coming from Texas tech as well. Uh, And and I think that then you also have to look defensively Tyler Barron, one of Tennessee's top defenders uh, coming in as an edge rusher. So this is a team that I think I was already pretty excited about coming into 2024 and, they had a really good offseason. They bring in a great transfer class. And I also just trust the staff, man. Like Jeff Brom got Purdue to the Big Ten title game. And we can talk about the Big Ten West, but Purdue's one of those programs that's supposed to be bad, thats that you're not supposed to take seriously. And he managed to get them to a Big Ten title game, and it probably wasn't his best season of coaching at Purdue. Now, I think uh, with the transfer class that they're bringing in, mixed with the fact that Florida State is in such a reloading gear. I I don't think they're going to be quite ready for primetime right away. Uh, Clemson, I think, is probably the top contender to to make the college football playoff and, and earn that four seed. But I just, I need to see it. They've regressed each of the last three years. I need to see it come back. I need to have a little more confidence in what they're doing. Uh, And I need to have some confidence that they have means of fixing this roster without their embrace of the transfer portal. And so ultimately, I'm going with Louisville. I think this is a program on the rise. Uh, And I I will say too, this would not shock me if it's a Clemson-Louisville ACC title game and Louisville pulls an upset to ultimately steal this spot, that maybe they're a top 15 team. But then they managed to pull the upset and that's enough to get them the fourth spot. And, and I'll tell you what, that's going to happen probably at least in one of these next two years, right? A Big 12 team or an ACC team that wasn't supposed to make the playoff is going to steal a bid. And people are going to have some thoughts and conversations about it. And, and I think that maybe Louisville might be that team in 2024. I'm I'm impressed by that
1: pick I was debating about Louisville because again I, I really liked them last season they were my dark horse for as long as I could keep them credibly as a dark horse but this season though no, I went a little safer I, I think I think Dabo will get Clemson kind of in the situation again I'm not expecting necessarily a top five team but as we said you don't need to be that to get into the top four seeds. Um, that opening game against Georgia, we're going to learn a lot about Clemson. Um, and and I don't think they're necessarily going to win that one, but we're going to learn a lot about the type of program we've got. And again, I was looking at that schedule. I agree with you about Florida State. I'm expecting them to be a bigger rebuild, rebuilding job than some people are giving them credit. And I think even though they're going to Tallahassee, I think they have a strong chance of of winning that game. Um Louisville hosting them I'm a little bit more on their side and they they have and again I should say the other game the other ACC contender out there that I was trying I was having trouble placing was NC State and and they again they also go to Clemson which will somewhat favor the Tigers I think and you're right they have lost people they haven't necessarily they 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 haven't been masters of the transfer portal in any stretch We'll see how the rest of this offseason goes. Maybe we'll suddenly see in the spring portal, they'll say like, hey, you know what? Maybe we'll take some people. Who knows? I mean, anything can happen. You know, the, the, the world, you know, it depends. How, you know, it's like quantum physics. You know, anything could theoretically happen, right? But uh, I think there is a lot of chance here for some quarterback development for Kate Kupnik. I think it could get to that point. And again, in a very tough selection, I went with kind of the the safer pick in the sense that I thought, I think Dabo is going to we will just go back to Tyler from Spartanburg, man. This has been this has been the rise from that, and they'll get somehow able to win the ACC. But I think that's a good moment. We'll just take a quick little break, and we'll come back and talk about our at-large plus G5 conference pick for a too early top or actually not top twenty-five <laughs> CFP rankings here on the College Football Survivor Show. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right. So now we've talked about who we think our our top four seeds will be. Again, not the top four teams in the country. We're not trying to come up with the the AP top 25, the coaches top 25, or however you want to say it. Um, We thought... Again, more or less similar similar vein. Uh, we flip-flopped our first two picks. So Sean thinks Georgia's is going to win the SEC and be the number one seed. I think – and Ohio State, which will win the Big Ten, will be the number two seed. I just reversed those. Could go either way. We both kind of agreed on that. But then we got into the fun world. Both of us Agreed that we think Utah seems to be the favorite to win the Big 12 and therefore get one of those other top four seeds. And as the number three seed, we diverged a bit on the ACC. Um, I went with the safer Clemson pick, and Shahan went bold with Louisville. Um, but those, again, that'll be an interesting one because, as as we said, like there's going to be fans out there that are going to be surprised to see who those top four are, especially the most casual fans who might just only tune in at the end of the season. They're going to be like, wait. How good was he? Maybe they may not even pay attention to the regular season. Like, wow, Utah was that good. And they're they'll like, how do they have three losses? Or I'm not saying they're going to have three losses, but it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. But all of that said, we now have eight more spots to fill. One of them is going to be the G5 champ. Where did you go next?
0: Yeah, so the G5 champ, um, and I will say like this, I don't think it's going to be every year, but this year... They're going to be the 12th seed. There, there's yeah. no doubt about it. They're going to be the 12th seed. And again, this is this is not the greatest G5 year <laughs> that we have ever seen. There's opportunity for teams to rise, I think. I, I think that uh you know, I I think that there's some Maybe like penny stocks you could consider buying, uh, you know, whether it's UTSA in the post Frank Harris era and them figuring things out, whether it's John Sumrall being able to quickly take Tulane back to ACC, oh, AAC prominence. It's going to be a tough pathway for them, though, uh, just with some of the players that they lost. I'm going to pick a team that I think had a really good offseason as well, uh, in a funny way. I'm going with Boise State. So Boise State makes a coaching change, ultimately promotes defensive coordinator Spencer Danielson to the head coaching spot. Uh, They just announced that Dirk Cutter is coming back as offensive coordinator this upcoming year. Uh, They they bring in the number one Juco wide receiver, Chris Marshall, uh, a former Texas A&M and Ole Miss player. Uh, And they also bring in Malachi Nelson at quarterback, somebody who... You know his stock slipped a lot after a seemingly lackluster freshman year at USC, but somebody whose talent I think should translate in a in a big way to Boise State and to the Mountain West. And when I look at them, when I look at Boise State, I think defensively they rebuilt their culture. I mean, they are defending at a very high level right now, and I think offensively they managed to do just enough to make things work. But I, I don't know how high the ceiling was with Talen Green. Uh, playing quarterback for them. I I think that he had limitations as a passer. Malachi Nelson coming in should not have limitations as a passer. Uh, I I think that they'll be able to protect him decently well. Uh, I believe George Helani is coming back as well, the really good running back for them. And so when I look at the totality of their team, in the context of a Mountain West that is kind of going through a season of change as well, I think that they are the team that not just is potentially the best group of five team, but I think is also the program that is probably the most above the rest of the field in their conference. And so for that reason, I have Boise State being the first ever group of five designated champion coming in at number twelve. That's a that's I was
1: really strongly considering Boise State because again, as you mentioned, I mean they've got a great running back with Ashton Genty. They've got that my only reservation with Boise State was that schedule, and I like I like the fact that they brought back Cotter. And welcome back, Cotter is how I've heard it said. Because I, only because I mean, for those who don't know, um, Boise State's rise to being this G five power started with with him. Although he didn't stay there for long, then he took the Arizona State job, and Dan Hawkins got them up to the next level. He leaves for Colorado, and then Chris Peterson's the one that took him to the elevation. Because Chris Peterson's first season was the famous Fiesta Bowl game. Uh, Fiesta Bowl game. Um, so again, they, they've had that rise and th- that's a great name to see back and someone who certainly, um, enjoys the program and has, has been an assistant, uh, with the program in the previous years, you know, since, uh, since he left as well, but I'm worried about the schedule and I'm worried that we're going to end up with a situation like kind of what happened to SMU where it's like you did well in your conference, but you know, losing, dropping some games early on might, might affect where they rank you in the, among the uh the g5 champs. so they've got again a tough schedule they got at oregon they've got oregon state and they've got washington they're playing the pack two like, they could be pack two champs that would be hilarious because there's only two of them they could they could be the pack 12 champions if they win their game hosting oregon state and they host uh and they host uh washington state um but that's still a tough lineup. Uh, the game at Oregon, I am almost. I mean, you can just pencil that. W- yeah, I mean, that's a loss, but pen, I don't think that'll count against them at all. That when it is a loss. But that one, they could survive that one. I certainly agree. I also looked at Air Force. I also considered UTSA as an outside chance and App State, but that I still don't know what to predict from App State at this point. They'll look great and then completely barf for the next game. And, and they're just too unpredictable at this point for me to take them seriously. I again, I mean, keeping Caden Salter, knowing how good Jeremy Chadwell is, the money they pour into that conference, the uh, pardon me, into that team, and just the the sheer week they have. An, Liberty has another just dog of a schedule, and I remember going into this last season because we had these conversations in the preseason that I did on some of these other conversations I get into. I'm like, yeah, they're gonna they could win out, but they've got the worst schedule. They'll never make it. It's impossible. And look what happened. So this season, there's a little difference going on here. Liberty, okay, yeah, they got blown out by Oregon. But people are going to remember that. Hey, yeah, they were they were really good last year. They were good for a G5 team last year, even though we'll look, at, look at past the, the opponents they played. I think they're going to have a little bit of momentum or, you know, as we used to say, pull momentum that's going to keep their opinion, the opinion of them maybe even higher than it was in the previous season. So that opinion, even if they go through... The murderers row of you know Campbell, New Mexico State, UTEP, East Carolina, App State. My goodness. Oh yeah, Kenesaw State. Now they're in the, I forgot they're in FBS. My goodness, Jacksonville State. How many of these teams? It's so funny. When you look at their schedule, like three of these teams, Kennesaw State, Jacksonville State, and Sam Houston were FCS not all that long ago. I mean, they their schedule is absolutely, if it's not the weakest, it's gonna be close to the weakest. But I think. That might still be enough. And I could be surprised, but I agree with you 100%. This is a really awkward year for the first year of the 12-team playoff because there isn't a very strong G5, and it's very unclear who's going to be in the lead in the Big 12 and ACC. So we're going to see some teams that get in there and may raise some eyebrows. But I, I again, this seems like a an exceptional year for that than what we've typically seen before. But yeah, those are I, our – oh, go ahead. I,
0: I, Just a real quick talk on Liberty. I do think that they very much have a chance. Uh, I think that they should go 13-0 again. I do think that two things will be working against them. One, I mean, you look at the other top contenders, they're going to have measuring stick games against uh, Power 5 or opponents that we consider to be relatively high level. Uh, The other thing that I think is going to be held against them is I do think that what happened last year against Oregon is going to be held against them. They're going to need to prove to, I think, uh, a lot of people in that committee room that they're even better than they were this past season. And so that, that I think, is going to be a stumbling block for them. The other piece of this, too, is, I mean, yeah, if they lose one game, I think it's over. I, I think it is totally done. Last year, the other thing I'll mention as well is SMU was a two-loss team. And, you know, and, and I think that that was... Ultimately a pretty significant damper. There weren't very many other major contenders. Like even in the AAC, Tulane was seen as the better team, and SMU pulled an upset. If Tulane wins that game, I think that they're easily in to the to the call or sorry, into the New Year's Six spot. I, I think that there are just too many teams in the group of five this upcoming year that are considered quality for uh for Liberty to be able to kind of just. Uh, skate through I, I guess you could say but I do think that again if they're very dominant like if they're notably better than last year I think that that's probably their pathway but I don't think they'd be able to replicate what they did last year with the group of five this upcoming year uh, and, and potentially make the field
1: yeah, I think my view is actually of the skepticism of the rest of the G5 field being able to – somebody be able to necessarily go with one loss. But I love that because that's the wonderful thing about going into the season. There's going to be some team we're not even thinking of that could end up being that contender because we all remember how close some of the – I mean, again, they, that's, that's the joy of college football. You know, I think it would be fun to jump now to the at-larges and and going back to the top of the list because I just realized I set up a rematch because – my number five is Oregon, and that would end up being Oregon versus uh, Liberty again, which would actually be a disaster in so many ways. Um, but again, I was, I was trying to think of when I'm trying to do the at is I do expect some of these top conference runner-ups to be that, that next team up. And I think it will be Oregon at this point. Um, I guess that might mean they'll have two losses both to Ohio State um, at the way I just cut that. But there's just so much strength going on there with keeping Dan Lanning in company, keeping, you know, his coordinators again, returning some talent, but then that transfer portal hall was, was solid with, we've talked about it from our previous episode, with Dylan Gabriel, Dante Moore, uh, you know, Evan Stewart, a lot of, uh, you know, just so many people we could go through great recruiting class, you know, the classic question of how they'll all mesh, but they again have a, the schedule is what really sold me on them because, manageable non-conference. They got Idaho, Boise State. Uh, it's weird to say this, but the Civil War against Oregon State is also going to be a non-conference game. Ohio State's coming to Autzen. So I think, again, we've said, depends how that how that game goes. And then the other challenging teams are all rebuilding in some way. I mean, they they're hosting Michigan State, but again, I've said that's a bit of a rebuilding year. Michigan and Washington are also rebuilding. I think this is an opportunity for them to potentially if not win out, or even potentially split a game with Ohio State, I think they'll still have a, a very high at-large ranking, and, and I've, I felt comfortable putting them as my number five. How
0: about you? Yeah, I am also setting up a rematch, uh, but this time between Oregon and Boise State. So i I will be curious. I will be very, very curious, actually, whether we see just like a little bit of like messing with the rankings right in a way that doesn't actually matter you know what i mean where like hey if oregon's five or six it doesn't actually make that big of a difference it doesn't actually change the playoff that much but not only would this be a rematch this would be a rematch at the same location of a game that already happened this year so you know does the committee maybe just want to say, like, Hey, maybe not. Well, m- maybe let's not do that. So I do think that there's a chance that, uh, that they could slide maybe one of these other teams, uh, up to number five and put Oregon at number six. But I agree out of the, uh, out of the top four and really outside of the top two, I think that they're probably the safest bet this upcoming season. Uh, they return more than most of the other major contenders outside of that top two. And, uh, like you said i i love the fact that they have kind of the old and new of Uh, of quarterbacks right they have dylan gabriel to kind of bring a steady hand they they've got dante Moore that maybe if he hits a different level you have that as a backup Uh, and so i think that they're going to be really really good this upcoming season great defense like they had last year adding four defensive backs to that room as well through the transfer portal continuing to get even more dynamic at receiver and the other part that you have to mention about this too is that oregon's 2023 recruiting class It's about to be second-year players. And it was a fantastic recruiting class. So they're only going to continue to get better, I think, under Dan Lanning. Uh, And so I think I agree. For me, they are the number five team. I'm going to jump to my number six team because I think that there's a little bit of a natural uh, conversation between these two teams. And I don't know where exactly I stand on it. So with my number six seed, I'm going to go with Texas. I think that, you know, you look at this past year, Texas was the best team in the South by a pretty, you know, I mean, Georgia was really close, but like, you know, they were. They were the top team in the South, I think. And uh, obviously, bizarrely, that wasn't enough to make the national championship game for the first time since 2014 and only the second time in like the last 25 years. But uh, they bring, you know, some key pieces back, led by Quinn Ewers. The, The thing that I'm having trouble with, with Texas, of getting them all the way to being either in the top four or being a clear national title contender is, one, that they lost an entire top five national rush defense, which is to say Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are gone. They do not have the pieces to replace those guys. Nobody does. That was the best combo in the entire nation last year. So even if they're a very good unit, that is a huge setback. Uh, on the defensive line from what they were last year I, I do think they have a chance to be better uh, in the secondary to maybe make up for it a little bit but that's still that, that's still huge the other piece of this is that you know they're, they've got a couple of offensive linemen to replace they're they're losing potentially two receivers who are going to go in the top two rounds of the draft. They, they mitigate that a little bit with Isaiah Bond leaving but you know I, I don't think that that's or Isaiah Bond coming in, I don't think that quite replaces what they're losing as well. So I think part of this question is just ultimately, do we expect this team to be better than it was last year? Because I think that, one, that's what I think it'll take for them to be a national championship contender. And two, I think that when you look at their upcoming schedule that's what it's going to require. They go to Michigan, they uh, host Georgia, they play Oklahoma as usual, they go to Texas A&M in what's going to be a highly competitive game. Now, it's it's manageable overall. This is not a crazy SEC schedule by any means, but um, I think that there are four games that you have to win to be considered serious, uh, and that's at Michigan versus Oklahoma versus Georgia at Texas A&M. If you lose any of those games, I think that that's a huge damper on the way that you're viewed and then potentially you go back and again if you if you lose a georgia close like that's not that's not the end of the world but i think that three and one is what you have to do to be a top six or seven team in the college football playoff race so one uh did you have texas next and two what was kind of your thought process behind texas versus oregon
1: yeah, actually, I did have Texas next. I, I was laughing when I was listening to how you're talking because that's so many of my thoughts. My issue was, again, the the, the talent uh, differential. Like they're bringing back Quinn Ewers, which is great. And I mean, every every emphasis seems to be on him. But, you know, and I think Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, Silas Bolden, you know, Mari Nye Black, all these transfers coming and we'll give him some weapons to work with. But that defense is, a, is a, you, you mentioned it. You're listening to losing two incredible talents on that line. So, Watching how they did with the talent they had last season, we saw there were games, we talked about them, where they would kind of let, let the game get up from under them and then they'd have to come back or just hold back that other team. When the, when the talent level drops a little bit and you're going to the SEC, again, I agree the schedule is a little bit more favorable than I had expected for them in their first— They're not Florida. They, they, actually have, they're not, they don't have a, as bad of a murderer's row headed their way, but there are more opportunities for things to get out from under them. Um, and so I felt the consistency at Oregon and and just how they run that program and how they've looked and, and who's coming in and their system versus a Texas team where we're, we're I mean, I don't like putting that much faith in one person. Now it can work out. I mean, that's what Washington was to some extent. Like that offense was incredible. The defense was good, but I mean the offense, you know, we were watching what Penix could do and throw to those receivers, and then he had an off day at the worst possible time. Um and it, it came crashing down with Texas. I'm a little bit more concerned that there're there opportunities for some of the issues that we've seen to come back and bite them. But I think again, I've got them as my number 6 as well. I think that'll overall they'll make it all the, they'll make it pretty far and they'll almost certainly get in a large bit if things unless things go completely off the rails.
0: And to be clear, right, like this conversation is simply like are they going to win the national championship next year, right? Like, this is this is yeah. not an are they going to be very good, one of the best teams in the SEC conversation. This is a, oh, okay, can they get from being in that second group to being in that first group? Uh, and I think that for me, I think Oregon's just half a step closer uh, than, than Texas is heading into next year with that said I'm going to jump in uh and make my next pick so we've got one more from the Big Ten one more from the SEC that's probably going to be a little bit of a theme <laughs> whenever we go through these next couple of picks. with my next pick I'm going to go with Ole Miss and we had a chance to talk about Ole Miss and their offseason a little bit on last week's uh, or sorry on earlier this week's show I view Ole Miss as a team that is searching for their moment. They're looking for their true breakout season. They've had 10-11 win seasons, but not one where they've actually competed necessarily for the SEC or actually competed for the college football playoff. And... This is the year that I think that that finally happens. You look at them bringing in two transfers on the offensive line from Washington. uh, Defensively, I mean, Walter Nolan coming in on the defensive line. That's as good of an addition as anybody made in the country this past year. Jackson Dart now heading into his third year as a starting quarterback, bringing back a number of key receivers as well. And you know, yeah, they they lost Quinshawn Judkins, and I think that's going to be a big loss for them. But they bring in a transfer running back from LSU, and Ulysses Bentley also showed some really nice stuff in his second season on campus. So I think that this is the year where Ole Miss decided we have to be able to hang up front with the best teams in the SEC. That's where they've struggled the most. On both sides, frankly. They they haven't been up for the challenge. I think that they see the transfer portal as an opportunity to fill some of those gaps, replace some of those holes. And and I think, ultimately, they've got a team heading into next year that I think is is ready for prime time in a lot of ways. And so, ultimately, I think that uh, they're going to be a half-step behind Again, those top-tier teams in college football, Like I, I don't necessarily think that they're a national championship contender, but the combination of what they bring back, the coaching staff that I think has done a really good job, and a transfer class that I think could be one of the most impactful in college football this upcoming year, I think most of the holes feel pretty filled and I think that's what they need to be that, uh, you know, compete to be that second or third team in the SEC.
1: No, I, it's interesting too. For me, I think they're in my top 25. They're my top 25. Dang it. Of course I have it. They're in my 12, but I put them as number 10. Again, I think some of these middle ones are going to be kind of not a huge deal. I think I'm just still a little hesitant to say, now granted they had their first, it's amazing I think that was Ole Miss's first 11 win season. I just need to see Lane Kiffin get the, get them past some of these humps for me to put them a little higher in the seating. That said, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think their toughest games are at home with Oklahoma and Georgia going to LSU will be interesting to see. Cause again, that's, that's an unpredictable one with those two apparently. Um, but there's a lot to like. I mean, again, you know, Jackson Dart, Trey Harris, Caden Priest here. And again, they've, as you said, they've supplemented really well in the the portal as they want to do. I want to keep us moving a little bit. So my number seven, I actually, and again, this is a team where they're fun to place because they're not, they're in their own little planet. And that's Notre Dame. Um We've talked about it before. They're the sweetest deal in the new playoff. Uh, we won't belabor that, but they, they have a good opportunity to get in there as net large. They're going to have probably a strong defense as always. And more importantly, Notre Dame sometimes has horrible schedules because of their their scheduling habits, which I admire. Um, But at the same time, this isn't too bad of one. I mean, their toughest game is actually – one of their toughest games, and I love this one, is their opener at Texas A&M only because it's going to be Elko versus Riley Leonard. You know, the the master and the apprentice playing each other. um, You know, but I think that's going to be an exciting one. They have Louisville. I think they're not going to look past Louisville because they're really angry about how last year went. Florida State is kind of a mystery team. As we said, I'm not quite sure if I'm as optimistic at how good they're going to necessarily be this season. And ending the game at their classical rival of USC, Um, and USC is another one. But again, they brought in Mike Denbrock as their new offensive coordinator. That should be exciting to see how he does with the player he's got with Mitchell Evans and some of these other guys, as well as Riley Leonard, and bringing in Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins. Um, And, you know, I think overall they're going to be a strong enough team to get through a pretty reasonable Notre Dame schedule. And I think they'll probably be somewhere in the middle. So I placed them as number seven.
0: No, I have them at number eight. They're basically right, kind of what you described in that conversation. And so ultimately, I do think that, uh, that their path is very manageable. And when I look at, you mentioned uh, Mike Denbrock coming in, I think he's going to be able to add a lot to that offense. And uh, I expect them to take a step forward. So I, I actually want to pause for one second and have a conversation about one specific team. What is your approach to Michigan this, this upcoming year?
1: I, I didn't put them in my top 12. I didn't think they could make it. I think it's going to be too much comp. I think the big 10 is going to be competitive enough. And there's enough teams that are going to be on their level that I don't know if they'll be able to do enough. I I thought Penn state is more likely to get in than they are
0: on that note. uh, What's your thoughts on Alabama heading into this year? (laughs)
1: Alabama I actually gave them I actually wrote down they have the name image likeness benefit of looking like a Saban Alabama team just long enough that they might get the benefit of the doubt and if we're going to say Texas is going to be good because Quinn Ewers is coming back Jalen Milrow and yes yes they don't have Ryan Grubb but I still think Kalen DeBoer can do a lot with that Um, and they're bringing in enough talent that I think he can proceed well now the thing that the hesitation for alabama is they do have one of the most brutal schedules uh, wisconsin's gonna be an oddball i'm very curious to see at wisconsin because that's gonna be a very quick benchmark of where's alabama right now but then they got georgia at tennessee mizzou at lsu at oklahoma and of course the iron bowl though that I don't think they're going to win through those, but I think they can take two losses and just based on that Alabama name, still make it into the playoff because it's Alabama. And I, I don't like saying that, but I think that's reality. How about you?
0: Yeah, I ultimately did put Alabama at number nine. And the reason for that is exactly I think... Exactly where I had them, by the way. Yes, okay. exactly okay. where I go. had them. There you we're, go. We're back on the same page again. Uh, yeah. so, so I think that there's a couple pieces of this. One... I mean, we can talk about the losses, but, like, Alabama's the most talented roster in college football still. Like, maybe they're, like, second to Georgia now, but that's the con— the kind of conversation we're having. Needless to say, it is more talented than any team that Kalen DeBoer has ever coached by a country mile. And he just took a team to the national championship last year. So I do think that he's going to be able to figure some things out. I expect them uh, to have a fruitful post spring transfer period as well. That's obviously something that you can't fully transfer or (laughs) factor in, but I do think that that's going to ultimately play a part. Uh, And I do think that he is just a coach that figures things out. That's his job. That's his role. I I think that this might, in a lot of ways, be the most Kalen DeBoer coach season of his tenure, where he just kind of takes some scraps and makes something beautiful out of them. And so, ultimately, you mentioned it. I mean, the schedule is not easy Uh, at Wisconsin. I think that's a win versus Georgia. I think that's a loss at Tennessee is going to be a. I think that they probably go. Either one and two or two and one. And that's probably the the playoff case between Tennessee, LSU, and Oklahoma on the road. I, I think I lean two and one. If it's one and two, then obviously I think that it's going to be a little more difficult. But they're going to be right on that borderline, ultimately. They're going to be in the conversation to make an SEC title game. Ultimately, maybe they finish like number 13, like the first team out. But the other part that you have to like too, let's say that they lose that Tennessee game, kind of get the, themselves in order. They play in Missouri at LSU at Oklahoma. Let's say that they find ways to win those games. I think that people will like the way that they're finishing the year. So I'm going to have them at number nine. I don't feel amazing about it, but I'm going to have them at number nine. Number 10, I'm going to move back over to the Big Ten. I'm going to go with Penn State. I, I think that this is just the year that they have to do it, man. If they If they don't do it this year, then James Franklin needs to take... You know, take the USC job again, like we always talk about. He needs to, he, he just needs to move on. It's, it's time if, if he can't make this work. Uh, we mentioned, of course, getting Ohio State at home, that's going to be a big game for them. And that's kind of their only real hard game. Like, I, I don't know you go, I don't know, that opener at West Virginia, that that's oh, going to be, on. That, that's come a hate on. rivalry right
1: if, there. West Virginia would love are nothing not- more.
0: Yeah, you're right. And if West Virginia would love nothing more and manages to get this game, then again, James Franklin should be fired yeah. on the tarmac. Like this is what do you make teams,
1: of the at USC game? What do you make of going to the Coliseum? That's another one I'm gonna throw out
0: there. That's an intriguing game. I don't think it would be devastating to lose that one. Again, he can get tarmacked and then just walk right into Heritage Hall and take that job, like I mentioned. Uh, but I think I think that that's one that would be defensible to lose. I'm, I'm curious. USC is actually a team that we didn't talk about a whole lot uh, on our. On on our Tuesday show probably should have talked about a little more as a winner of the offseason the way that they revamped their defense uh, I, I think that um, you know with Miller Moss coming in at quarterback the, the talent that they have they want to be more big 10-y I guess you could say and so I could see them figuring it out if this USC game was played in November then I think that I'd like USC a little more. It's going to be very early in USC's Big Ten tenure when they get this game. So I think Penn State should win it. But let's just say, lose Ohio State, I think that we're both projecting that. Let's say that they lose at USC. No other game to lose on the schedule, I think, is acceptable. So if they're a 10-2 team, I I think that they... Uh, you know they've managed to find their way into the college football playoff and this is also a culmination year in a lot of ways for that really 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 good uh what was it the 2022 recruiting class right with drew aller and nick singleton and katron Allen. now it's 2024 this is the culmination year all three of those guys can leave for the nfl after this year so i i do think ultimately this is a year that one penn state will be able to put some things together oh and, and i have to mention too Andy Nicky coming in as offensive coordinator is one of the best hires of the entire off season. I'm going to be curious to, to see what happens with the whole like Drew Aller being a statue thing. I, I, I don't know how that's going to vibe with an Andy Kotelnicki offense, but also Andy Nicky is awesome. He was the offensive coordinator at Kansas as they put together their run over the last two years. And so ultimately I do think that he ends up uh, being a difference maker for this offense, even if it's just, finding unique ways to revamp this this running back room and and put them in unique positions so i think it's enough I, I think 10 and 2 should be seen as penn state's floor this year if it is worse than that i will be severely disappointed in what this team accomplished and i think that's going to be enough in the big 10 to get them number 10
1: yeah i 100 percent agree with you on that and i'll also note that i think they did a good job of uh, replacing Matty diaz with tom allen um, I think the defense should continue to be good. So there's a lot of things to like about Penn State. It's just can they get past that hump? And, and I, I ranked them a little bit higher. I ranked them at number eight. But again, when we're t- looking at the bottom half of these seeds, it's not a huge deal. Now, heading over to so um, I had Ole Miss at number 10. You had Penn State as number 10. There's only one spot left. Who is Because we, we both have our G5s at the very bottom. Who is your number 11 seed?
0: So this is this is where it gets really interesting. I think that there's a couple different directions uh, to consider. Missouri from the SEC, I think, will have a really good case. They've got a manageable schedule, and they were a top eleven team in the country last year. So there's there's a great case that they should be in that spot. I think from the Big Ten, you know, we can have again a, me- a Michigan conversation. We both agreed just outside of the field right now, but. They have the ability to play their way in. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it. With with what they've built there and the way that they've recruited, I think that you could go to the ACC and see. I mean, again, you had uh, you had Clemson as your conference champion. I have Louisville. I think that uh, the the winner of Clemson, Florida State, potentially could be that 11th team. And I think from the Big 12, look, if if Arizona manages to continue to build even after losing Jed Fish, that's a team that you have to like. Uh, And and I think the Kansas schools, I mentioned, Kansas Kansas State, those are two schools that I would heavily consider. I think where I land, and I – this is hard. Like, this spot is hard. This is probably the hardest spot on the entire board. I think the direction that I land – is Florida State being an 11-2 team with a close loss in the ACC championship game. They have a manageable early schedule, which is important for me because I think it's going to take them some time to figure things out. Georgia Tech, Boston College, Memphis, Cal, all at home. They go to SMU. That'll be a fun game. Hey, I should go to that one. That one's uh, right in my backyard. It's 15 minutes from my house. Then the next week, they get Clemson at home. Getting them at home, I think, is a big deal. So their strength of schedule like a lot of the conversation about Florida State is going to be the same as it was last year by the way about them not having a very good schedule about them having some questions and they're not going to be as good as they were last year but i think that when you look at their overall roster when you look at their coaching staff that i like a whole lot when you look at their pathway and when you compare it to how competitive it is going to be for Missouri as the fifth SEC team to get in or for Arizona to manage their first year in the Big 12 or Kansas or Kansas State. I think that I trust Florida State's path the most. Again, I don't feel great about it, but I think that that's my team.
1: Not bad. You know, I went with another ACC team trying to fill that spot because, uh, again, I was looking at I could have easily gone with potentially K-State or Oklahoma State from the Big 12. Um, I could have gone with Mizzou. But again, I think that schedule's tough. LSU don't say could Miami. Get it together you're, enough.
0: You're, you're, don't, don't tell me you're about to say Miami.
1: No, 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 no. Okay. Miami not there, but again. Okay. No, there are teams that were too many mysteries. Miami, Michigan, USC, yes. Tennessee, Oklahoma. I'm like, yes. too many mysteries there. I don't know what could happen. But I actually went with the Wolfpack. I thought North Carolina State could be that wow. team that makes it in. Because again, I think... I like Grayson McCall. I love that they brought him in. That's a huge deal. I think they've got, you know, they've got Jordan Waters coming in from Duke, who is a good rusher. They've got some good talent there. And their schedule, week one is FCS, no problem. They have a neutral site game against Tennessee in Charlotte. So that I'm going to give, they're going to probably be a good number of Wolfpack fans there. But I mean, Tennessee will show up, no doubt. If they can get past that game. The rest of their schedule, I think, at Clemson is the hard one. But, again, if you're in this group, you probably took a loss somewhere. Um, so, again, what, Louisiana Tech, Northern Illinois, Wake Forest, Syracuse at Cal, Stanford, Duke, at Georgia Tech, and then the North Carolina rivalry. That is a circumstance where you can absolutely win out. Um, so that's why I think they could, they could very well be a surprise uh, to go there. So, yeah, that, that was mine. Um, you know, I just want to quickly, before we get, because I want to wrap up, so now that we've announced our top 12 seeds. So, for Shahan, it was Georgia, Ohio State, Utah, Louisville, Oregon, Texas, Ole Miss, Notre Dame, Alabama, Penn State, Florida State, and Boise State. So, you went state and states to, to wrap this one up. Mine were Ohio State, Georgia, Utah, Clemson, Oregon, Texas, Notre Dame, Penn State, Alabama, Ole Miss, North Carolina State, finally with Liberty. This is going to be such an exciting playoff. I cannot wait to see how this goes. Sean, I know you wanted to add something.
0: Yeah, I, I, how do you, uh, I guess, square your number 11 seed pick with the fact that NC State has like a ceiling built over the program where they're not allowed to win 10 games? I, I, I feel <laughs> like that would be like a construction project that I'd need addressed before we ha- can have this kind of conversation. I, no, I, I'm intrigued by the pick. I think the thing that's going to be tough for them, like I said, I mean, it is like <laughs> they have not managed to reach that top level. It's, it's very difficult. Ole Miss was in the same
1: boat, and last season they did. Ole Miss never reached 11 games, 11 wins, and they did. So I'm I'm
0: a believer now. I think teams can do it. <laughs> yeah, but like that team hadn't won 10 games in a long time, and then that coach did <laughs> it, and this coach hasn't done that. But I'm a big Dave Doran fan, to be clear. But uh, I do think what makes this difficult is I think for NC State to have a chance, they have to win both of Tennessee and Clemson. I don't think that they have a pathway unless I guess the alternative would be, OK, maybe you split those games and then you win. But then I think then you have to win, I think, the ACC title game. Oh, I think that okay, yeah. I think that they probably have a better case to to make it by winning the ACC than they do as the 11 seed. But at the same time, I mean, I'll tell you what, I would love to see it. I mean, I, I love me some Wolfpack.
1: Could you imagine if we get a situation where the loser of one of these conference, like probably would be the big 12 or the ACC, the loser of the conference championship game doesn't go into the playoff, but, the at large just pulled from the other team that didn't make the other. Uh, that would be oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I that's going to be lots of talking heads going bananas, and and I love it because it's also going to probably be lower stakes because we're going to be talking about tenth, twelfth ranked teams. Not a huge deal in all and said and done. But I can't wait. People are going to get angry, and that's what we like. But you know, I think that's a good. This 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 kind of went on for quite a bit because there's so much to talk about. I cannot wait. It, it, This has got me so excited for the regular season. Um, I I cannot wait to have these discussions regularly as we get back into it. But thank you all for listening. On behalf of all of us here, on behalf of Shahan, on myself, and our producer, Joey Aliberti. if you get a chance, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe and find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find Shahan's work on CBSSports.com, and it's always great talking to you. Take care the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.